Welcome to the Rolling Stones, Studs, a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion, hosted by your own bad boys. It's Pete and PJ. Oh. Brought to you by I, um, you know, PJ, I realized this week I was thinking about the way we do our intro while I was listening to, we're going to get straight into Sirius XM here. Oh, perfect. While I was listening to Sirius XM, it made me realize we do, I forget the name of it, but the DJ intro where they talk right to the, where the lyrics start in a song. Yeah. And then like stop perfectly on time. Right. I, um... We do the opposite of that for our intro. We don't talk through the instrumental intro and then start talking immediately when Mick's voice starts wafting up through our headphones. That is true. I uh, took a radio class when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. We have talked about this. Uh, and they, we had to practice doing that. Now, is there an official name for it? Uh, yes. I feel like I've heard it called something, but maybe not, yeah. I feel like there's probably a name for it, but we just called it, like, talking over the intro or, you know, some shit like that. Um, There was one girl who did not understand the concept, uh, (laughs) and she was my least favorite person to do assignments with. Yeah. Yeah. That is so much fun to do just for fun. If any of you out there are nerds and are bored and are in a place where you're just hanging out with your significant other roommates whatever you're doing these days uh just like pull up a playlist and then play songs like figure out how many seconds it is and then just play the song and like do your own intros for it and it is i'm a nerd it is such a good time i could do that for like an hour it's so much fun let's see what you got pete let's see what you got please uh let's do a rolling stone song of course Oh, I was just going to go to my Discover Weekly and see Oh, any song? Press okay. shuffle. Well, I need I do need to know the amount of time cuz I can't do it, you know, unless I actually have like a 20 second countdown. Okay. Let's see. I want to do a Rolling Stones songs though because that'll be helpful cuz I'll actually know what to say about it. Okay, here we go. Um what about Mona? <laughs> okay, let's do Mona. All right, Pete. All let's right. see what you got. And here we are, a Bo Diddley beat from the lads from Liverpool. It's <laughs> Mona. Oh, I went way short. That was like four seconds long. Yeah. <laughs> that was really bad. <laughs> I mean, it was good, but it was just half as long as it needed to be. Yeah, those lads from Liverpool, eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, in my head before I started, I was going to say lads of London, and I just <laughs> I automatically did the did the thing everyone does yeah okay let's do one from exile let's see let's see if okay. we can do it um i feel like turd on the run is gonna be the best sure you ready i'm ready all right and here we have a little bit of a album cut from the rolling stones from their 1972 classic exile on main street it is turd on the oh fuck you fucked it up my uh that's just a zoom sync issue because i hit start on my little timer on my phone right when you clicked with your finger but uh it was pretty good i was dragging out turd on the run because i didn't know (laughs) yeah 
You want a game with endless possibilities. <laughs> Let's see what I can do. I'm gonna do Sweet right, Virginia. Not gonna, not gonna see how much time okay, there is. I'm nice. just gonna fucking wing it. Yeah. Yeah. This next song we got is from those bad boys, the British Invasion. We know them as the Rolling Stones. It's off the album. Exile on Main Street, one of their more well-regarded albums, uh, recorded entirely in a van in France, uh, featured in the film <laughs> Knives Out at the end of it when uh, you figure everything out. You know, you just got to get a little bit of sweet Virginia in your cup. And with that being said, this is the song named Sweet Virginia. <laughs> nailed it, dude. Beautiful. You fucking nailed it. Really, really good. Did you remember before you started that that was about a two minute long intro? <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I realized it maybe halfway in. I was just like, oh shit, yeah, this is a long song. <laughs> yeah. They don't get to it for a while. Well, good. I had time to say everything I needed to say, and I did it perfectly. Yeah. Oh, this is what it is. Okay, this was in my head. The word post was in my head, but I couldn't think of the phrase. Hit the post is to Hit speak the post. right up yep. until the lyrics of a song begin, which is a great phrase. It's a very antiquated uh, thing yeah. to do. Now yeah, I don't want to hear like, anybody talk what, over a fucking song. Like, where did that come from? I wonder what post was there someone was literally hitting at some point. I don't know. Maybe something to do with a record player? I would guess so, because, like, most most uh, radio stations have two turntables, and so... And a microphone. Yeah. Much like our good yeah. friend, Jeff Beck. Beck um, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so, you know, they'll stop one and then start the other one. So maybe it just yeah became a thing because they had to, like, do stuff while they were talking to fill the silence. Right. But I truly have no idea. You got me. Hit the post is a good term. I like that. PJ, how are you? How the hell are you, man? Peter, let me. Well, oh, that has been serious XM talk about. Oh yeah. Uh, we had a at some point we had a theme song for it. I don't do. I don't remember. I don't actually know that we did. I think we looked, but there are zero Rolling Stone songs that reference the radio, which is incredible given both their love of Chuck Berry and their being a band in the '60s. So yeah, it's really wild that lyrically no one ever mentions a song on the you know something about a radio. Here, uh, this will be our um, our uh, theme song for it. And this has been Sirius XM Chat. Is this a Rolling Stone song I am unfamiliar with? This is the song Radio Gaga by Queen. Mm. Great. PJ, how, how dare you? What the fuck, man? You're bringing other songs into a Rolling Stones podcast? What is this? I, I hear Freddie Mercury and Mick Jagger banged once, so it's kind of the same. They probably did. I got it. And John Lennon was in that bed, too. Yeah. Of course. Famous he, bisexual people. And he was eating a Snickers bar. Or, yeah. What? what? John Lennon was? Yeah. Gross. At the house. Gross. I know. Gross. Yeah. God. God. Fucking Snickers bars are 
pretty nasty, you know. But then it was really funny because he was Gary Coleman, and then he ate the Snickers bar, and he became John Lennon. Yeah. That was, reference makes no sense because... Because he was feeling a little short. Yeah. Because Gary Coleman's dead now. Yeah. But was he even famous by, like, the early 80s? No, he was not. I believe he got... Yeah, well, not at maybe. All. I don't know in what different strokes. show he was Different on. strokes. Yeah. Um, I think that was, like, a mid-80s show. Um, yeah, it feels like... I mean, which they all... Well, no, because John Lennon wouldn't have banged in the mid-80s. No. Uh, uh, 78 oh God, through 1978 86. to 19. I should not have doubted myself. I'll edit that out. Hell yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, and well, Gary Coleman was like four years old then, but yeah. 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 He's al- he sure always he looks was, four years old though. Yeah, I'm sure he was famous for being, I don't know, angry. Was that mostly? He, no, he was famous for being a short man. That was the his the thing he was most famous for. Yes. Hmm. Him and Emmanuel Lewis. To me. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. He also got <laughs> molested in the back man, of a bicycle shop. Do? So, wow. Yeah. In the show or in real life? In the show. That's a heavy different strokes episode. That's it was. <laughs> that's a real different stroke. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but is, for, for different folks. Let me tell you yeah, what. Rod Rod Serling came in at the end of that episode and said, "Well, that is a real, a true different stroke in humanity." And this has been different different strokes was that a good rod sterling i don't i feel like i've done better in the past i haven't imagine watched twilight zone a world in a long time i where, used to watch them all the time no i can't do it anymore imagine yeah. a world where yeah, there's I feel a small like I'm just black fella and he gets molested Johnny carson yeah it's kind of what of, it sounds like it's kind of the same voice i feel like he's just more like slow instead of he's slower and less i guess animated yeah, you know, Rod Serling, despite his reputation, not as funny as Johnny Carson. I feel like people always God. used to call him a real cut-up, but... Yeah. Yeah, that be- that's what that Beach Boys song was about. I mean, if you remember, the lyrics were all like, I love Johnny Carson, and then there's the whole verse about, like, people say Rod Serling's way funnier, and he's not. He's yeah. just not. To me. I just don't get it. Yeah. And my name is Mike Love, and I'm here to say... We need to be partying in a major way. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's what happens when you let Mike write the lyrics, you know? Yeah. Well, then he writes fucking student demonstration time, and it all goes to hell. The best harmonica song for the Beach Boys, though. That's true. Undeniably. Potentially the only one it shows up on. Maybe the only one. Except that bass harmonica on Pet Sounds. Yeah. That doesn't count. Do you think... Yeah, do you think that... Okay, now, so we've talked a little bit about... In the Beach Boys, we talked about the Beach Boys trying to one-up the Beatles and vice versa with their music. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. this episode, we talked a little bit about the Rolling Stones trying to one-up the Beatles in their music. Right. We also mentioned, I think, a couple of times seriously about, like, I wonder if the Rolling Stones were influenced at all by the Beach Boys or, like, trying to do a Beach Boysy thing here. Yeah. But do you think on Pet Sounds, they used the bass harmonica because Brian was like, they play little harmonicas, but I can play a big harmonica. And it was just kind of one of those old-fashioned dick-measuring contests. You know, Pete, I think that the bigger the harmonica, the bigger the man. Mm-hmm. Never, you ever heard that phrase? Well, y- yeah. The other phrase that that people have just heard from time immemorial is... Um, <laughs> what are you making there, PJ? 
I'm sorry. Keep talking. What are you talking <laughs> okay. about? PJ's cracking ice, mixing a drink. Um, the other phrase is, you know what they say about men with big harmonicas? They big, big lips. Feet. Oh. And big lips. You just kind of have to be a big guy. Yeah. The big lips thing got harmonica, a little you know? racist. And that's why it doesn't need to be. <laughs> I, it got racist. I'm not saying oh. you made it racist. The oh, okay. saying in general. Oh, I see. People took it that way. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. I agree. What drink are you mixing for yourself there, PJ? What are you talking about, Pete? Okay. He's denying it, but there have been at least two different bottles poured into shot glasses to measure out. One looked like rum, and now one looks like margarita mix to me, which is a confusing mixture of liquids. I Oh, he's Peter. pouring a lot of margarita mix in with that rum. Is that a drink I don't know about? I I don't Or is that just darker tequila maybe? Oh, oh wait, now there's soda being added. Okay, this is going crazy now. I Peter, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. You people can hear you on on your mic. You're you know? really <laughs> pretty coming up obviously w- with these it's pretty clear. These things where you're like, "Oh, PJ's mixing a drink and like doing something silly." <laughs> and I just don't know why. Yeah. Now we uh, have the martini shaker out. Just this is great. This is very anti-Rolling Stones, you know, cuz they just would they just love drinking straight from a bottle of Jack like we'll see in our movies we're talking about today. Um. Yeah, I I'm just sitting here, a little bit of rum minding punch my own business. <laughs> yeah, rum punch, the Elmore Leonard special. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, this is uh, Di Sirono, and that is <laughs> sour mix and uh, oh, okay. a little bit of Sprite, making a bit of an amaretto sour. Nice. Because I'm a lush in the '60s. That sounds great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Put on your feather boa and sip that. In the corner. Oh, I will. Anyway, I just, uh, you know, got a little thirsty. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. So, PJ, so today, Peter. well, I mean, do you want to get into it? It feels early. Um, It is a bit early. And I'm also the- bored of talking already, though, so it's tough to know what to do here. My answer is also I don't really want to get into it, if we're being honest. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, Let's just see if we have general. listener mail, just in case. Yeah, just for shits and gigs. Right. Uh, switch accounts. Why am I signed into Shelby's Gmail? Get that shit out of here. Were you trying to see if she was cheating on you? No. Via email? <laughs> no. No. Yeah, I know, right? No, uh... No emails. Hmm. <sighs> wait, 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 wait. No. We do have one from April 1st. It was just checked. You read it, so. I didn't read it. Oh, well, someone clicked on it. Okay. We got listener mail. A little listener mail. I, uh... PJ? Peter. We have a follow-up. This is a follow-up listener mail. Ah, uh, okay. So we got the same assholes writing into us that usually do. 
that'll be fun for the audience. Basically just the one fan at this point. Yeah. And I feel bad for him, so people write in. It's beachboysboys at gmail.com. And literally, at this point, I know we've put a lot of restrictions on the listener mail. At this point, I'm w- any and all. We'll take anything. Um, we just get, our dicks get so hard when we realize we have listener mail. And it's the only way we can get it up now. Yes. Um, and as people who've listened to this podcast before know, it's very important that that happens for the show to continue. Exactly. Uh, Otherwise, if, what's the point? Yeah. If any of that, though, makes you uncomfortable, um, honestly, we don't care. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Jim, Joe, Joe, I always, for some reason, want to call him Jim, and I... It's terrible. I've probably accidentally called him Jim in an email once because it's so. Okay, Jim Joe, Joe, who gives a shit? Joe replies, Dear sirs, thank you, Joe. As you approach the end of Brian Jones's tenure with the Stones and, well, life, haha, <laughs> this may be of some interest to you, and he attached a YouTube video. Oh, you know what? I did read this email before, I and then I told you. didn't watch it. Yeah, and then he said, film about the Brian Jones era Stones and Brian's death. The acting is pretty good. Oh, it's a it's a movie movie. Dramatization. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the movie, or the acting is pretty good. Based on books I've read, the story is accurate, but the cheap bastards didn't pay for the rights to any Rolling Stones songs. Sound familiar? Yep. As a result, the soundtrack is mostly bad covers of public domain R&B songs. Hey, kind of <laughs> like all the Stones' early albums. Ha, 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 ha. It's a fairly entertaining film, even if it won't change your life. Onward, Joe. We, hey, that's sweet. Joe, um, we got bad news for you. Already covered that about six episodes ago. Yeah, I mean, well, we covered that, but then also bad news for you, Joe. This episode is our movie episode, and uh, we definitely can't do two. That would be insane. Yeah. Um, But, I mean... But then also, would I take in any Rolling Stones content if it's not for a show that we don't get paid to do and, in fact, put our money into? No. Why would I spend my time on that? Yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate pointing me towards an objectively bad movie as described by Joe, but (laughs) (laughs) we'll see. I'm actually somewhat intrigued. When is it? When did it come out? That's mostly what I'm interested in. The trailer makes it look like it's from, like, the 90s. To me for some I would hope to God they made it in 1970. Because that guy just... really looks like Brian Jones, if that helps. Oh, the co- you know the. Let me let me get in on this. Yeah, I'm just watching it with muta. It's very, it's just flashing. It's very psychedelic. Um, apparently there was a lot of psychedelic stuff happening in this era. Who knew? Huh. I wonder how much they're gonna get into the fact that he loved beating women. I hope oh, a the lot. guy playing Mick does not look that much like Mick. Oh, they are. I mean, they're getting into his BDSM stuff, but maybe oh. not his, you know, violent tendencies. We'll see. Stoned is what the movie's called. I feel like good and terrible name for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that guy kind of looks like Brian Jones, I guess. There's what's his name in it. There's one guy in it who's very famous, uh, whose name I can't pull. Peter Fonda. No. Oh, oh, you're talking about that guy. That's Mark Ruffalo. He... No. <laughs> oh my God, Robert Downey Jr. Is in... No. Whoa. Uh, no, it's what's his name from. He's in so much shit. 
James right, we're McAvoy. Just IMDb this movie. Um, also, uh, this served actually. This is weirdly apropos, uh, Joe. Thank you. It came out in two thousand five. Um, James McAvoy. But this is our no. This is our episode about uh, Stones movies. Well, two of them. We're going to talk about two Stones movies, and uh, so this actually kind of works. Um, they all. Let me say, Joe. I'm sure this is a classic movie in your home. Um, <laughs> Got to watch it every every four months or so. He's just throwing it on. Yeah. He owns the Blu-ray, you know. Well, he's got to get those special features. But uh, these guys are in the worst wigs I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, they're not great. As well as none of them look particularly like the characters, especially Keith. Yeah, Keith is um, what's-his-face, a guy who is now famous, Ben Wyshaw, who is... Yeah, I don't know what that is. In. I know that name, but I can't pull... Oh, oh, he is... Oh, shit, um, here's James McAvoy. Fuck, who knew who he was in this? Ben Wyshaw. Ben Wyshaw is in uh, the new James Bond movies, right? Isn't that it? Yes, he's he plays Q in the Daniel Craig James Bond movies. You think I watched that British... As well as... Swill? Other that... stuff. He's in other stuff, too. Oh. But... Uh, that is genuinely a name I do not know. And then Patty Considine is the guy's name. I did not know that was his name, but he is in all of the, uh, what are they called? The Palmetto Trilogy or whatever with um, uh, the Simon Pegg. Yes. Um, Hot Fuzz and um, World's End and stuff. He's in all yeah. those movies is how I recognize him. Ben um, Wyshaw? Who the fuck is that? You really don't recognize him? No, I don't I know like... this guy. Oh, okay. Wow. He looks kind of like the guy who was in Lost. Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, that's it. Doesn't well, look that great. I mean, that was kind of serendipitous. We'll I'm sure we'll watch it. Yeah, that was kind of serendipitous uh, mail, but mm-hmm. honestly, a bit of a letdown, if I'm being honest. <laughs> There's a uh, picture attached of a DVD cover for Stoned. And uh, this was this era of movie making, just in case you're either too old or too young to know it. But the DVD cover is stoned, unrated edition. Oh, you know, and it I, very much looks like a an American Pie DVD. It, it does. It it looks like a it looks like one of the AP movies. Um, our demographic ranges um, from the ages of so I'll go the upper end first, forty to sixty seven were huge in that range. 40 to 67 males. That makes huge. sense. People and then, were alive for parts of the Rolling Stones' meaningful career. Exactly. and then Or the meaningful parts of their career. Yeah, and then the the other age range, our demographic skews, is between the, the one and four age. Huh. I don't know why, so but... kids who accidentally got their parents' phone. Exactly, yeah. I and assume they, that's they the vast it. majority of subscribers we have. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised, Pete. 75%. Kids who go on SoundCloud and look up surf rock because they yeah, want to hear clear. their favorite band. 75% of our subscribers are obvious accidents. Yeah. Which was, you know, the, that was the original name of this show. Yeah, obvious I'm excited, accidents. man. Stoned. I want to see it just because it looks horny. It looks, say it. 
Horn it does look there's horny. a lady on the cover in underwear with like clearly no bra on and not even underwear. She's not even wearing not even um, the one is on my cover. Oh yeah, that's weird actually. The regular cover, no underwear. The unrated cover, she has underwear on. <laughs> Whoa. That's unrated, weird. more like rated. That's actually G. really, really strange. Where on the unrated covers, she definitely has it's photoshopped, clearly, because it's the exact same picture. Yeah. Hey but do you want to know something, wow, Peter? That's weird. I, I would PJ, I would love to know anything. <clears throat> Before Jimmy and Janice, there was Brian. Yeah, yeah, like a year earlier? Is that what they mean? <laughs> you mean they all got famous at the same fucking yeah. time and then Six died? Six months before these other famous <laughs> yeah. people died, another famous person died yeah. who was equally as famous at the exact same time, yeah. in case you didn't know. The original Rolling Stone. God. Technically, that is true. Do you think stonedthemovie.com still exists? I'm sure it has to. I assume there's lots of softcore Brian Jones porn on it of him in that sweet American flag t-shirt, like holding the gun by his crotch. Looking like he's 50 years old. Holy shit. It's still a movie. Or still a website. Stonedthemovie.com? Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. Wow, it has not been updated. updated. Yeah. The Wicked World of Brian Jones. Hell yeah. Oh, it oh. has it has reviews at the bottom. <laughs> it is it is an archived an archived page, bleh, which means oh. it's not like whoever made it isn't paying for it to be up still, but regardless, but it's still amazing to see. One of the last reviews put on it was from two thousand ten. Oh <gasps> and they gave it half a Dude. star. <laughs> one of the movie posters for it. Brian Jones, stoned, one man, one dream, one band, <laughs> one pool. Oh, that's just mean. With a Nazi logo on it? What the fuck? He yeah, he's a wearing Nazi a fucking swastika on. on his arm. That's in, What the hell is that? That can't be real, but it's like on the website, so that's confusing. That's ridiculous. Huh. Can I read this half a star review? Oh, sorry, it's two in it. It's two and a half stars. That's oh. less funny. Yeah. Oh, no. Here's a half a star review. I would love to read it. I also have a good part of a review to read. Um, This is Go from ahead. Barbara R., who Please. wrote this review five years after the movie came out. I find the real story of Brian Jones to be much more interesting than this poorly done reenactment. There are ways to make movies about the 60s, and there are ways not to make a movie about the 60s. <laughs> this tries to be the classic midnight cowboy and fails. I found the artsy deluge of drugs, sex, and music spun together in f- whoa. phantasmagoric cinematography to be jarring. Wow. She put Clich- a lot of work into this half-star review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cliched and annoying. That's one sentence. Yeah. The 60s style filming every now and then was irritating as well. The only good thing was the artful display of male and female nudity instead of the usual female-only shots. <laughs> they love to see Dong hanging in their movies. That's what I'm getting uh, who, from this review. I mean, who doesn't? Everybody loves Honestly, yeah. That was the Equality, best part about Gone Girl. For every movie, new rule, for any movie that shows any nudity, they have to show an equal amount of both both sexes nudity that's a type of pornography i watch so 
50-50 points. Yeah, 50-50. That's what we they call promise it. 50% of the movie is dedicated to each each actor. Mm-hmm. And they're not in it at the same time. That's not allowed. <laughs> back to back self. Yeah. that's so weird that they would do that because that could just be two different videos <laughs> like i don't understand it certainly could be i don't know why, why. it needs to be ma- hey ma- hey man one piece don't kink shave me bud that's so interesting i'm um, no i'm not you're kink- hey, whatever oh. you want to watch you can watch i'm just surprised the company would like like make those <laughs> video and put all that effort into doing that hey don't knock it till you try it true um there's another review on this on this website from 2005 uh that just has one just two things that make it seem like they're really amazing well so first of all apparently they make frank thoroughgood like a main character in the movie yeah it seems like Um, it which is interesting and this guy describes it as the real nub of the film which (laughs) i don't think that's the word he was looking for no nub of the film uh there were two contrasting worlds in the 60s the tiny elitist world of brian jones with his sex drugs and decadence and the real world frank's world which was still very gray frank was bitter and jealous Hmm. okay cool Cool. frank so they think he murdered him because he was jealous that brian jones got kicked out of a band if anything he murdered him because he owed him what six thousand dollars or something in a crucial scene, Thoroughgood finally manages to bed one of the girls hanging around Jones's house. Also, didn't he have like a he had a whatever. girlfriend who he brought to Jones's yeah, house? Yeah, only to be told that she prefers brain to brawn. Mm. <laughs> does, does it does, so does it mean he Brian? Got so mad he killed Brian. <laughs> did it well, mean it prefers Brian to brawn? She just mispronounced his name. Yeah, she meant to say Brian, but she said brain, and he just. I mean, either way, he was pissed about it. But yeah. You can bet he would have killed Brian much more if he had known that she wanted Brian instead of him, instead of Brain instead of him. I would love to kill Brian much more. Yeah? Well, that was a fun detour. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Joe. That ended up being full of laughs. And this has been Listener Mail. All right, well, PJ, today we're talking about a couple of other movies, objectively good ones i think one could say um one could say that yes well one of them at least is a good movie the other one i think it's very much up for debate on whether it's a worthwhile piece of artistic content okay um crazy crazy take in my mind but okay Oh, interesting all right i found one of the movies to be it it was interesting we'll get there okay um but we're going to talk about Gimme Shelter, which we have referenced quite a lot in the, especially in the Altamont episode, and like watched some clips of it while we were talking about the events of Altamont, um, and then also the movie Cocksucker Blues, uh, which did not came, come out, was made in 1972, but was not officially released ever. I believe has just been shown it. A yeah. handful of screenings here and there throughout the decades. So I believe that is correct. It's it was up on YouTube though for some reason or another. I don't know how a judge's interpretation of you can only view this with the filmmaker present got turned into, but it's fine to keep it up on YouTube. Yeah, so that's such a weird thing about YouTube is I remember yeah. being mad in like two thousand seven 
when I was watching a video that was like rare Beatles footage. And I was like, it's mm. on fucking YouTube. It's not rare. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I mean, it's also weird because the movie violates essentially every rule YouTube would have for like what you can. Nudity, drugs. Yeah. It like actively shows both people having sex and people injecting heroin into their bodies so like i don't know why and cool. worst of all it has copywritten like music situation yeah. yeah that too yeah like none of it really makes any sense yeah. but so we're going to talk about those two movies today which pj and i watched in the last week or so so yeah do you want to uh do you want to get into them let's get into them pete let's start let's go in chronological order let's okay start with give me shelter give me shelter Give me shelter. Let's just do a, a, a tad bit of background, and then we can talk about the movie. A bit of came synopsis. Out 19, in 1970, uh, in theaters and such, um, it was made by the Maisels brothers, who we talked about again during the Ultima episode, um, and we talked quite a bit, I think, about them filming and then trying to interview people after the fact and everything. Hey, wasn't that um, guy's name that you said was an everything Ben Maisel? <laughs> yeah, that's him. Okay. He's their grandson. Makes sense. And then, uh, yeah, it's following the Stones at the end of their 1969 tour, which basically, after they shot everything, it ended up being a movie that was 75% about Altamont, because that was the interesting part Main at the thing, end of the tour. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what you, uh, what were your thoughts on Gimme Shelter, PJ? Had you seen it before? I had seen parts of it. Yeah. And the parts okay. I had seen were the parts I really enjoyed. Um. It's uh, like like you said, we talked about it a lot at, uh, on the Altamont episode. Um, and those are the parts I had seen along with a really beautiful scene of them watching. And I think we played this on the podcast before. Um, listening back to uh, Wild Horses for the first time, like after its yeah. final mixing. At, well, they were at Muscle Shoals. Yeah. And it's just a really beautiful like moment. I love that video so much. And then everything else was really boring. Um, yeah. Interesting. I just, like, the parts I had already seen were cool. And, like, they're obviously yeah. really good parts to this movie. But, like, the Altamont stuff was really rough to watch um, again. Just because yeah. it's, like, I'm, I know we made jokes about it, but, it, like, a guy died. And it yeah. is, like. It's all incredibly fucked up. <laughs> yeah. And it's in there, and it's just really, like. I don't know. I watched it like after I had a bad day, and I was like, "This mm -hmm. is f like, can't believe they fucking released this movie." Um, yeah, I think probably objectively it's pretty good. I think you're probably right yeah. in your in your statement earlier. Um, I just was like really done with it. Like by the time I yeah. watched it, because I had already seen all the good parts. <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt the opposite, where like I the only parts of it that I'd seen were just clips from Altamont, like we talked about, but of only yeah. of the Rolling Stones. I hadn't seen any of the clips of the other bands playing or the clips of like the day of people showing up kind of stuff or the day yeah. before of all the crowds showing up. Um, And then I actually, like I found it super compelling too, where like how they set it up. Um, I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, like, it's not anything new. It was new. I think it was fairly, like, new kind of school filmmaking back then. But for now, yeah. it's a pretty normal way to set up a documentary where the first scenes are Mick and Charlie, 
watching back the video from Ultimont, I think of right. the guy getting stabbed, right? Isn't that like the very beginning? Yeah, I'm Something pretty sure like it's the the very beginning. Well, it has like a little intro, and then it has and then, yeah, uh, Charlie watching the seat. I think they're yeah. sitting together, if I remember and correctly. And they're like talking a little bit about yeah, like what they remembered, and then they ba- and then they cut back to like the beginning of them filming at the on yeah the tour, and then lead up again where they're like filming sam cutler and the other i never figured out who the like lawyer guy was the old guy with gray hair who they kept showing in his office talking on speakerphone with people yeah i would also Um, like to say um but they kind of led back up to the events you know and like set it all up in chronological order after that but go ahead um so these filmmakers presumably hung out with the rolling stones for a long time before this spelled fucking keith richard's name wrong Oh, no. That's an interesting detail. I noticed that, too. We talked about that, I think, in our very first episode, where his official name... I for, Okay, now I can't even remember what his birth name was, but he went by Keith Richard on, like, album sleeves and stuff until the mid-70s or something. I don't think we did talk about this. I'm almost positive we mentioned it very, very early on. Let's see. I'm Let's pretty sure we didn't. If you're a fan... Listen back and tell us. Okay, so Keith Richards, referred to during the 60s and 70s as Keith Richard. That's dumb. So, like, he was credited on their album sleeves and stuff that way. And I forget. I'm not going to look it up because I'm almost positive we talked about it in an early episode. I don't think we did. I forget whether it got, like, misprinted and he just went with it or whether. I don't remember why he had the alternate name, but yeah. I just. Um, Okay, well. Yeah. I but it was really good, and it like it made even though we had already talked about all of Altamont, seeing like visualizing every part of it as you led up to it, like made it all feel so much crazier. Both from like yeah. all the crowd shots of everyone showing up blew my mind too, because it looked like so many more people than you think of it as being. Yeah, because like in the videos we watched from when the Rolling Stones were playing, you can only really see like twenty feet out from the stage because it's because it's dark. Yeah. But then, like, you see the day shots from, like, that morning, and it is a fucking insane amount of people. Yeah. Like, it so is truly I had, wild. How I had watched that. those scenes before we did the Ultimon episode. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. included in my kind of, like, yeah. I saw the interesting stuff. And then um, it, it was weird. also cool that they had video of, like, all – not every single band, or they didn't show every single band before them, but they showed, like, two or three clips. Yeah. Of bands playing before them and that was also really interesting like all the stuff with jefferson airplane they had right in the movie um, they had jefferson great. airplane and they showed who else did they show at the beginning um uh flying burrito brothers i think that's right the very first band that they showed. yeah 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 and one of the guys from flying burrito brothers i don't think it's graham parsons because he doesn't look it was hard because like obviously the movie didn't like you know pop a name up be- below everyone's face while you were watching it yeah so it was a lot of googling people that you knew were around and then checking their faces against the movie but one of the flying burrito brothers guys they was in like eight different scenes just like talking to them the whole time but i'm pretty sure it wasn't graham parsons yeah i don't it was think a, it was like was the parsons. guy with curly hair who was kind of shorter right um yeah it was not graham parsons but i don't know who it was chris etheridge maybe maybe um but yeah it was really good and like 
it even more so than I already thought. I feel like my overall, thank you. I feel like my overall takeaway from Gimme Shelter was like, how did this not ruin their career more? Like I already thought that with Altamont, but then it's like after this movie, like this movie feels so damning. Not even necessarily that it's like their fault, quote unquote, but just that this would happen at like a show they organized. Just feels nuts that then. Like, they were fine. Like, I guess maybe we missed it when we did our Altamont episode, but it just seemed like there was no blowback on the Stones about this happening. There was just blowback in a general sense of, like, well, that was a sad hippie mistake, kind of. Well, and I think it, it was mostly like the Hells Angels got blamed, which rightfully so. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it was, I don't think it was put on the concert at all. They were just like, yeah. hmm, they maybe shouldn't have gotten the Hells Angels, but. No, like a yeah. fucking guy got stabbed because of them. And it was also just like, I think I, I think this is very similar to what I kind of said on the Ultimate episode or that we said, but like, it, while it was not directly their fault, they definitely and almost purposely created the conditions for it to happen, basically. Yeah. Because they were actively trying for it to be like Woodstock, which no one seemed to understand this but like the way woodstock happened was not how it was supposed to go it was all them giving up because so many people showed up that none of yeah. their plans would work anymore well and like that's and so then they would try to plan a like unplanned event and like that is right such which a mistake w- which is the same thing that happened at the other woodstocks they had when they had like yep. woodstock 99 and they yep. fucking start a fire and like rioting right. i think that's what there will never be another woodstock because yeah. woodstock happened on accident yeah and for some reason or another like it actually it was nice and so yeah yeah Yeah. um i mean it wasn't to a lot of degrees yeah in a lot of in a lot of ways but But it's remembered in terms of being yeah Yeah. like yeah but um i'm just kind of looking through some of my notes from the movie um mick it really a few things struck me about watching mick First of all, he always seemed to really love watching himself whenever he was watching back video of like them singing yeah. or like them doing an interview and then it would cut to him watching the playback in the studio and he always was smiling like how cool are we? Yeah. <laughs> it was really ridiculous. Which um, uh, so for me, I I had kind of a thought about that too. For me that made that scene that I love of them listening to Wild Horses like even mm-hmm. better. Because at the yeah. beginning of that, he's, like, being his mix self, he's, like, singing into a beer bottle and just being a weirdo. But then, like, when the song comes on, for, like, the first ten seconds, he's, like, still, like, smiling, like, oh, we're so fucking good as a band. And then they all, their faces, like, drop, and they're, like, listening. And yeah. I don't know. That, to me, still is the best scene in the movie. Um, yeah. 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 But uh, there's also a part where, like, the drums come in, and it's on Charlie when the drums come in, when they're listening to that. And, like, there's a drum fill, and Charlie does one of these, like a, hmm, not bad. <laughs> like, it's, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I nailed that. Yeah, he's like, fuck. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I don't want to harp um, on that a lot. but No, yeah, you're good. Mick also had just fucking terrible outfits the entire movie. Oh, to the me. Like, I worst, know, yeah. I know it's a very hippie era but like he the way he leaned into it i did not enjoy um like just lots of like shirts with huge ribbons coming off like the cuffs that were like floor length and he would just like twirl around while he was dancing and stuff um 
That was, yeah, yeah it was bad outfits. Ridiculous. Keith looked pretty cool for most of it. Everyone else looked fine because they yeah. were all just wearing, like, T-shirts and jeans, I feel like. But then Mick, right. like, obviously, and I think, I forget if it was in this one or Cocksucker Blues, actually, but they show him getting made up before the show and everything, and it's like he definitely put a lot of work into looking. Like his look, yeah. Like, yeah, but it's like you're, like, honestly as mick jagger to me at least now he's so much cooler if he's just mick jagger up there in a t-shirt and jeans yeah um doing i guess maybe like a robert plant thing more than doing like a david Uh, bowie thing of being all yeah i mean the coolest fucking picture in the world is robert plant in a super tight t-shirt super tight jeans at a concert in britain and he just has a t-shirt on that says nurses do it better (laughs) <laughs> and it's like the coolest yeah. fucking picture ever. And he looks so cool. And I feel like, yeah, yeah, Keith Richards has that same energy where it's like, if he was just wearing a super tight t-shirt, I'd be like, fuck, fuck, Mick, you look good. Yeah. Um. So, and then with all the Altamont stuff, some of the great things about that that I feel like we didn't really, you know, that this movie gave you more detail on. So, first of all, like I mentioned, they like keep showing scenes of, some lawyer guy i'm unclear on who he was but some guy in an office um making phone calls trying to set it up the whole time and there's like 15 people in the office with him all the time Mm -hmm. um, talking about it and so there's a scene early on where he's talking to like the first person they were supposed to do the concert at like after golden gate park fell out yeah they had like a different racetrack they were supposed to do it on and the guy was like being such a dickhead it was just amazing <laughs> like he lit he had some thing that he said where he's like where the lawyer guy was like do you even want us to do this like it sounds like you're not interested anymore and the guy's like no i want the concert here but you got to understand i have a racetrack and if there's going to be like one blade of grass turned over if there's going to be any damage to my bleachers like i just can't have it but i like i want it here but there can't be any damage to my place and it's like what do you think you're doing man (laughs) yeah like they're they're actively trying to make it the like woodstock west and you're like don't let them touch the grass while they're here yeah (laughs) is nuts and then also how much like that conversation they were talking about the concert being like four days away and they still first of all they didn't even have the venue nailed down and then once they get uh the altamont speedway in which is like two days before the concert. Then there's a scene where they're talking on the phone with like the sheriff of whatever County that's in talking about like whatever restrictions there might be, like what legal um, things they have to look at for like parking and having bathrooms on site and all that. And they literally did not fucking know. Like he was asking them questions. He's like, how many cars can you park? And Dick Carter, the guy who owns Altamont is sitting there and he's like, I think like 80,000 cars. And he's like, okay, well there's supposed to be 400,000 people showing up how are they all going to park? And they're both just sitting there looking at each other like, well, we can park 80,000 cars. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a great part, I think, where he mentions, like, they could park it on my neighbor's land. Yeah. And the sheriff's like, we've already had complaints from all of your neighbors that they don't want this to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just, like, shrugs. He's like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what to do. And that's, like, two fucking days before this concert's supposed to happen. It's insane. Yeah. So, so that guy, uh, that is Marvin Bell. Oh, okay. He's a lawyer. He came up in our Altamont episode. No. I remember. Um, but he's like a f- very famous like Hollywood lawyer. Like he Got he it. was a lawyer for okay. Muhammad Ali, Chuck Berry. Damn. Um, 
other people. He was also the attorney for Jack Ruby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know who Jack Ruby is, yeah? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. You just didn't react as much as I wanted you to. Whoa, PJ, holy fucking shit. Thank you. You're welcome. That's who Ruby Tuesday was written about. Of course exactly. I know who Jack Ruby is. Um, Goodbye, yeah. Ruby Tuesday. So, that is pretty nuts. Okay. And then, what was I going to say? What was I going to do? Oh, and then speaking of Dick Carter. <laughs> so, uh, there were all of the scenes in my mind from before the Rolling Stones went on of the day of were pretty awesome. Um, so, first of all, I didn't realize this, but they got on video the random kid punching Mick, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that I didn't know either. Helicopter. Yeah. But I saw that. Yeah, yeah. And then, so Sam Cutler is the guy, the, like, British guy with the mustache who keeps, like who's organizing everything um mm-hmm. and he's just an asshole the whole time which is really oh, great like people keep coming asshole, up to him yeah. asking him stuff and he's like will you just get off the fucking stage and they're like uh we're trying to ask for help about whatever and he's like i don't care or and it's amazing um and at one point <laughs> at one point dick carter shows up in front of the stage and he like uh sam cutler leans down to talk to him and Dick Carter's like, can we please, whenever we're referring to it, can we call it Dick Carter's Altamont Speedway, just with the press and everything? And it's like, really? You really want your name on this thing? <laughs> Twelve That's, hours later, right? Yeah, it was well, incredible. Yeah, um, there were parts like that that I really did lo- like. All of the, I think, just people being candid is yeah. so fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, and I think I really wish I would have watched this one first. Because I watched yeah. Cocksucker Blues first. and I did too, of all things. And then I, like, in my mind, I, like, wrote this one off. And there mm. are really amazing moments now that you bring it up where I'm like, that was oh. pretty fucking funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's just wild. And it, and then it's, yeah, it's just crazy watching it all go down. Um, There were also some things that, like, were cleared up for me watching the movie from Altamont where – um with the hell's angels first of all there was a shot later on where they are driving their bikes in through the crowd yeah um and that was before the rolling Stones set where i think we talked about this like them using their bikes as a fence and how yeah. stupid that seemed but then in the context of the movie it made a lot more sense because they had like to their minds as security although we're not giving them credit for doing their job well but yeah in their minds of security they're like we've already had fucking fights all day i like it seemed like they were like this is our like last ditch effort to like create a barrier is if we line up our bikes they won't cross those so then we'll like actually have a barrier in front of the stage for the rolling stones and then that obviously didn't work at all i had an opposite thought um i was like with everything that was happening all day because they had had problems all day yeah my thought was like why push it more by driving your fucking motorcycles through the crowd and then being like you don't fucking touch these i mean yes like that's why you don't hire them for security because their yeah idea is to like we gotta assert authority over these dumb hippie kids and like you know yeah it's so stupid and it also got on video during jefferson airplane too uh like marty balin jumping into the crowd and then yes. they're like other the guitar player or whatever being like giving them shit over the mic and the other uh angel like freaking out and grabbing a microphone and arguing with them. yeah that was amazing and also 
almost as good just a very very close second to brothers and sisters please let's all cool out (laughs) is um grace slick during jefferson airplane set was like okay both the exact quote both sides are fucking up temporarily let's stop fucking up yeah (laughs) okay I love Jefferson Airplane throughout this whole concert. Like, this whole movie, I was like, Jefferson Airplane is kind of fucking hilarious. It was also awesome that they got on video, too, the part where, or, like, that it was part of the movie where the Grateful Dead show up and then are having the conversation about... (laughs) it's uh, So it's Jerry Garcia and Bob Weir and someone else who I think is their drummer, I think we talked about in the episode. He was there all day. Uh, before the rest of them showed up he was the guy who was friends of the same color right yeah, yeah so it's all three of them standing there and bob weir's just like they're beating up musicians and jerry garcia's like who and then they're like the angels and he's like oh bummer man <laughs> and yeah. then they're all like so yeah like i don't think we're gonna stay it's it's so fantastic yeah um, and just also so much like yeah they're it everyone should have that's that should have been everyone's reaction the grateful dead were the only people who had the right reaction that day of just like this thing is going wrong we should all leave like why are we staying yeah because like the hell's angels maybe not but it does seem like if they were like we're calling the concert leave they didn't seem like they really wanted to be there like if they were done with the free beer that they got just leave like i think they would have been fine just driving away yeah they give a shit about I mean, especially like it since like, it was, like, all these hippie kids. They're not going to try to fucking, like... They just seem very, yeah, I say that in a way yeah. where they, they, they didn't want to be there, so... Yeah. Call it off. It's crazy. Um, there was also a really great line from the lawyer at some point when he was talking to, I think, the first racetrack owner guy, but maybe maybe it was Dick Carter. I forget, but he was talking to someone, and someone's like, well like how are we gonna pay for all this or something and he's like well it's like it's a charity event so like we're not um they're not doing ticket sales or whatever but since it's a charity event whatever money comes in we'll just split that between us or whatever like the rolling stones aren't taking any of it yeah pretty pretty good shit so yeah all of the all of the candid moments in this were really good um and uh charlie in this movie Yes, I loved. We got so much Charlie Watts. It was he was yeah. the second most featured person after Mick. Like I don't yeah. think anyone else barely. I don't think they filmed anyone else watching playback. Keith, Keith at the very beginning okay. is um, watching playback, but yeah. he's with Charlie. I think. Oh okay, yeah. But they got a lot of like I, Charlie talking was really interesting too. Yeah, it made me like Charlie a little bit more. Honestly, I oh, think yeah. he's hilarious. Yeah um one thing before i had a couple of the songs from the movie i thought were worth noting and i think we might listen to them a tad but one last thing about the movie that was awesome is during the stone set there was a certain shot where like while mick's trying to calm the crowd down little mick is smoking a cigarette yeah and then they start playing again, and he sticks the cigarette between the strings and the head of his guitar to hold it, yeah. like, while it's still going. And I don't know if I'm, like, just haven't seen a lot of old rock stuff or what, but I don't think I'd ever seen that move before, and it was, like, so fucking cool to me of someone throwing their cigarette up in there. So That was a very, like, common thing to do. I feel like Eric Clapton does it a lot. And Yeah, uh, okay. I guess I just haven't seen a lot of older 
famous Led Zeppelin concerts, but yeah, famously like uh, I say that a lot. I realized that recently in an episode. I say famously. I need to knock that shit off. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen's uh, Frankenstein guitar had that. So I bought uh, this Telecaster from a pawn shop, and it's from the early '60s, and it has a burn mark here from a cigarette and damn. here. Nice. Because yeah. I think they stuck it so they they would stick it in there and then sometimes stick it through here and then it got yeah a, yeah on the head of the yeah a huge burn mark from a cigarette head. yeah that's awesome that's a nice guitar PJ thank you I really like it yeah um yeah so that was pretty awesome like for some reason or another I don't think I'd seen that before and it blew my mind it's a cool move okay. so. I forgot about how good mix fucking uh, uh, Uncle Sam had is. Oh, yeah, that too. That's another part of his outfit that sucks. So this, a lot of those live versions were interesting because I feel like a lot of them do not sound like the Get Your Yaya's Out versions that we heard. Not at like, all. Which yeah. means that they varied a lot from stop to stop, which is wild because that's like that album's from this tour. Um, which is pretty wild that that's true. Yeah. Um, but on this one specifically, so first of all, there's a breakdown at some point that is really stupid. Um, there's also a riff that I think Little Mick is playing that's like added from the studio version that sounds to me exactly like the Ticket to Ride riff in a distracting way, but I think like, it starts later on. We'll, we'll listen a little bit and see. But also, generally, I found all the live versions in this movie better than the Get Your Yaya's Out versions that we heard. Yeah, I don't know why people love Get Your Yaya's Out so much, because it's not, like, this stuff is better. If they had just recorded it, yeah. like, I don't know. And maybe it's because they had better mics. another thing I wanted to bring up. Bill looks so bored whenever yeah. he's playing live. That's every bass player. Man. Every yeah. bass player just looks like they could be doing anything else. With how thin and spindly Mick Jagger is. I am surprised he can lift a mic stand above his head. <laughs> they gave him a lightweight one. It's yeah. I was going to say, those things weigh like seven and a half pounds if you're getting a nice one. It does sound like Ticket to Ride. Doesn't that sound like the intro to Ticket to Ride? 
And then he plays it for like two minutes in the song. It's, it's like really weird. I mean, it might just be a riff, like in the moment. I'm not trying to say anything weird, but I'm not trying to blame, blame Little Mick for stealing Beatles songs, but it's still weird how much it sounds exactly like Dick It does sound exactly yeah, like right? it. Yeah. Maybe it's purposeful. Maybe he was just fucking around and seeing if anyone would notice because they're all so high. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's his And then MO. also the version of Under My Thumb that they play at Altamont to say one good thing about Altamont is incredible. Like I yeah. was oh, like, yeah. holy shit, this is so good. And yeah. none of the other Altamont songs I've heard I like very much, but Under My Thumb for some reason sounded awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like the little variation on the riff, it being slowed down slightly. You know, if we if we are all one, let's go. We're all one. <laughs> God, it feels bad to laugh at, but it's just so ridiculous. Because he's wearing like a matador outfit too, which makes yeah, it all yeah. the more ridiculous. Okay, here we're gonna we're gonna. I don't know what. <laughs> When I we don't get know. To really like the end, and we all want to go absolutely yeah. crazy and like jump on each other. Then we'll stand up again. You know what I mean? Everyone oh yeah, because they're all sitting sit down, down to play this. Cool. Let's so just cute. relax. Let's just get into a groove. Come on, we can get it together. Come on. Sit down. But it's like a, it's a really good. Version. Like I want this, a full version of this somewhere. It's so great. For some reason, tragedy like brings out. I don't know. A lo- like good in people, like when they're performing. This version at least, man, it's fucking yeah. beautiful. I think this might be a little bit. I'm kind of assuming on lead here, it kind of sounds like the It's hard to say. Like those arpeggios really high up, like that sounds like a little bit. So yeah. Great. Yeah, you have to imagine. And also, he's doing Mick just sounding scared, I feel like gives the song a nice new tenor. Yeah. <laughs> in the lyric department. <laughs> So not in control, singing a song that's all about being in control. <laughs> but it's good. It's really good, man. I want, like, I wish there was a, you know, just an audio of this somewhere. Yeah. The bass is also really coming in really clear on this song. Yeah. It's fucking good. It's good shit. It is good, man. Yeah, so that's Gimme Shelter. I Gimme Shelter is great. Like it's, I see why it's a you know kind of classic rock documentary. It's, a rock doc. Yeah, a classic rock doc. It's it it deserves I think that billing. Yeah, I a, think as a classic. I think I was watching it through a very cynical lens, and I think I'll have to give it another shot because the Which like the, the more I mean, you the bring up stuff, terrible. Yeah, exactly, and I think. No. I don't know. I just had like a fucked up day and then watched it. And then I was like, I hate yeah. watching this. But yeah. like, I think, I don't know. A lot of the stuff you're bringing up, I was like, I did actually think that was really fucking funny. And so like, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think my overall taste of it was tainted. Yeah. yeah. Do we want to take a little break and then come back for cocksucker blues? 
Peter, I would love to take a little break and then come back for Cocksucker Blues. <laughs> Welcome back to the Rolling Stones Studs. We're gonna get into Cocksucker Blues, PJ. So oh. exciting. And it is quite the blues that the cocksuckers blew. Quite the blues that the cock sucked. Um, so for some reason I didn't realize it like makes sense, but the movie's named after the song that they released, Cocksucker Blues. Yeah. Um, that we talked about when they left um, DECA, they needed like a final single and they sent them that as their final single what's most interesting about that is that they play a little bit of that song in the movie and i didn't bother to look up the song because i just assumed my assumption was that it was just like a boring standard like blues song blues cover and they just titled it that to make it unreleasable mm -hmm. but no the lyrics are like very very graphic and you know very much about sucking cock so yeah Turns out it's, it's a real, yeah, unfiltered Little Richard type song. So, um, yeah, there's a great scene early on with Marshall Chess, uh, who's the son of the founder of Chess Records, and the and he's the head of Rolling Stones Records. Uh, he explains for a long time why they wanted to take that song and record similar songs by other artists. And yeah. do a this is such a great 1972 everyone's coked up idea. Well, maybe not coke yet, but everyone's on drugs yeah. still. And uh, they wanted to make a party record, a famous artist singing, uh, like, dirty songs. That is so the yeah. greatest idea like, I've ever heard. Cocksucker Blues is the first one. He had some, I think maybe like an Elton John song that he was like, we could make it, you know, whatever. I'm jerking 10,000 penises in her butt. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great cover. Much better than I'm jerking you off. My yeah. <laughs> has nothing to do with Elton John. Editor PJ here. A very obvious one is crocodile cock. All right, back to the show. Uh, so yeah, Cocksucker Blues is, let's get a little bit of like the background of it and then we can get into our thoughts on it. So it was filmed through their 1972 tour. Uh, mostly the like guy what was his name god damn it i forgot it now robert frank i think it was who mm -hmm. did a lot of the shots we talked about him before he did a lot of the photography for the exile on main street cover um and then 
hung out with the band on their tour and decided to film it for a movie and filmed it by like he had cameras but then they also had a bunch of like handheld cameras that they just wanted like people to carry around and use so that they got you know scenes of i don't know more um what you call it? like kind of more laid back scenes and stuff of people yeah. messing around so um the rolling stones didn't want it released after they made it because they were worried about legal troubles basically um because there's a lot of obvious drug use and talk about doing drugs on it yeah which i think was their main problem with it there's also a lot of sex and nudity but like not yeah i think the legality stuff they're more worried about was the drug stuff is my guess that makes sense they are not fans of the law no yeah um so they didn't want it released robert frank like took it to court to have it released um and the judge ruled that it could only be shown like a certain number of times per year and only if he was present and it had to be like private screenings and like a bunch of stipulations yeah. on it. So it was never released in theaters at all. Um, Which makes sense because the, the version yeah. we watched is terrible quality. It's ter Yes, it's terrible quality. And then also it's like, I mean, especially for 1972, it was definitely X rated. If not, I think wasn't NC 17 higher than X back then. I don't um, think X was a rating then. I don't think NC-17 was a rating then. X was a rating because... Uh, Deep Throat? Because, no, no. Um, God, what's that movie? Midnight Cowboy was the first X-rated movie to like win an Oscar or something. Huh. But then oh. also maybe the only because they got rid of the X rating pretty quick. Like it didn't, it wasn't around for forever. Yeah. That's right. Because they didn't this have is, R. It was just PG. I'm kind of remembering this. It was, it was G... Yeah pg they didn't have pg-13 it was g r no, and x just, right i think it was just pg x and then nc-17 maybe okay or or there was one above x that was basically pornography had its own rating because it was a movie with pg was or a movie with like no rating was like a kid's movie or a documentary or something you know like a nature yeah. documentary pg was anything that wasn't okay. an x in like yeah. Okay, in 1970, yeah. the ages for R and X were raised from 16 to 17. Also, okay. due to confusion over whether M-rated films were suitable for children, M was renamed oh, yeah, GP M. for general audiences, parental guidance suggested. And in 1971, the MPAA added the content advisory, some material not generally suitable for pre-teenagers. So then yeah. in 72, so from 70 to 72... It was G G P R X. Okay, got it. Okay, so yeah. they did have R. I was obviously yeah. wrong on that, but I mean, this would have at least been X, if not more. Yeah, than that. like I mean, it's a documentary where they show people having sex. Like, it's not even acted sex. Like you would have yeah. in a movie with you know nudity and sex scenes. So it's like <laughs> literal, actual, and you know, actually people shooting up. So anyway, yeah. Um. So it wasn't released, but it's been shown you know enough times i guess through through the ages that you know pretty much you can see it and now it's that just it's on public YouTube, domain it's like, now you can see it. Yeah. yeah so so that's the story behind cocksucker blues um you want to 
You want to get into it, PJ? I would love to get into the cocksucker blues. The very first scene is fantastic, or not scene, but they have an opening title card that I have to think is either very tongue in cheek or is a weird legal thing. But it says like all of the events or like it, scenes shown in this for movie. The, yeah, except yeah. for the musical numbers, the events depicted in this film are fictitious. Yeah, no representation just, of like, actual persons and events is it intended. Like that, that it literally has to just be a joke because legally you couldn't even say that about a documentary, right? So it has yeah. to just be a weird joke. But it's maybe crazy. it was they had to do that because the Stones were like, I don't need people to see me fucking and shooting up thank you but it's also like yeah like if someone wanted to take them to court though i mean not that i don't think you can charge someone for like well unclear about that like you can get charged for stuff you see in videos but i don't know how that would work back then like all the legality around them being arrested because there was a movie that came out with them doing heroin but um yeah i don't know it's still just crazy and very interesting so um so yeah, basically like this kind of different than Gimme Shelter. It doesn't really have a point. It's no. much more meandering. It's definitely more artsy than Gimme Shelter. Like there's a lot of like It's trying to be really artsy. Yes, yes. There's a lot of things where they like overlay film on top of each other to, you know, have like people's faces like the weird half sheen of like scenes laid over the top of each other. Right. Um they're definitely trying to be artistic about it. It basically like kind of just ends up being a whole collection of scenes of them touring backstage and then yeah. and occasional shots of songs, but not a ton of that. Yeah. Not as much as Gimme Shelter. For sure. I will say I tried to watch this four times and fell asleep all four oh, times. Really? Oh, no. And then I and then I watched it a fifth. I watched it all the way through yeah. one time after. It is so fucking boring. Yeah. I mean, I found it interesting just in a way of, like, it has a reputation of being this insanely, like, debauched representation of the of the Stones on tour. Yeah. So I kind of was, like, intrigued the entire time because it's, like, anything could happen. And, like, after you see a couple crazy things happen, you know, you're, like, this could get crazier. It kind of never does. Yeah. Like, there's maybe, I would only say, like, three or four scenes that are all that wild and then the rest of it is just a lot of people who are very very stoned or drunk or tired or all of the above just like sitting backstage talking to each other in about uninteresting things (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like there are long stretches where it's pretty boring but it, it, it kept me interested because it's like at any moment behind someone being boring there could be someone doing coke you know yeah so (laughs) you want to keep your eyes peeled um something that struck me from this was that especially compared to so this was their excuse me first u.s tour since altamont Mm -hmm. or since their 69 tour that ended in altamont um but this tour apparently was the start of mick dressing on stage the way he has for the last 50 years right like he looks exactly like if you went and saw mick jagger now what he would be wearing yeah like a like a velvet shirt unbuttoned yeah. shirt a weird like satiny pair of pants and a big old scarf that like goes all the way to the floor right and it just like except that his face is very very young he looks the exact same it's nuts 
I was so I was thinking about that when I was watching it, and I was like, it is crazy to me that he has not changed in fifty years. Yeah. However, except for the lines on his face because he hasn't even really gained weight. Like he looks the no, same. No, he's body still wise. He's trim. not a. Yeah. He's not a. He didn't get bigger or anything. Right, and then so that got me to thinking like do a lot of people just kind of pick their vibe and then roll with that for 50 years? And then I was thinking of like Led Zeppelin specifically, Robert Plant just dresses like, you know, he wears like a black button up shirt and jeans now. Yeah. Jimmy Page, he dresses kind of like, like a Victorian scholar at this point. But like, you know, in the, in the seventies, he's wearing like jumpsuits that he had custom made where it's like, I don't, I don't think anybody else just picks their vibe and like rolls with it. Cause like Keith Richards didn't dress like a fucking pirate back then. And now he fucking does. Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting with Mick. I, I would have to assume for Mick, he does some detours through the years. Like you got to think in the eighties, Mick does like high waisted jeans and some high top sneakers or something. No. All right. Not for, I was going to say like, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess if he did some detours and then came back. It is classic look. Yeah. It is funny Later. that we talked about this on the Beach Boys Boys, that when 1970 rolled around to 1980, every rock yes. star was dressing yeah, in like yeah, yeah. New Balances and like faded jeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they all they all, all went there. Yeah, and yeah, I like I can I feel like I can see Mick in my head wearing that kind of outfit, but yeah, maybe but he did casually, but not on not on stage. I think the, far, the closest he got was like white Nikes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, just a weird little note. At some point, there's a voiceover. <laughs> this doesn't even have to stay in the episode, but it was just so fucking weird. Someone's like, there's a voiceover. Like, I think reading an article about the Rolling Stones and the word paradigm comes up. Oh, yeah. And they pronounce it paradigm. Yes, I, like, I heard what that. The and then i googled it because i'm like have i been pronouncing this word wrong my entire life or is this person the crazy and it's definitely paradigm yeah they and are the definitely crazy definitely pronounced it paradigm it was so fucking weird so um should have hired a new fucking voiceover artist yeah i got let's see let's talk drugs for a second i got a yeah. list of the drugs involved so the first drug i think you see is they do acid tabs on their forehead which is yeah, kind of a that- weird drug for 1972 to my mind Oh no! I seems mean, seems like a very. That seems more like a '60s thing to do, but. But this was only like this was '69 through '72, so I mean it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Um, and they then, do acid tabs like, I want to say like five minutes in. Yes. Yeah. It's like early on. Of, yeah, a guy putting it on Keith's in between Keith's eye, or eyebrows. I mean. Yeah. Um, and then there's a bunch of people doing coke at one point. Yep. Of course. Uh, which had a great quote from whoever was giving out the coke. The guy went, "Cocaine's so expensive. I think it would be impossible to develop a habit." Yeah. <laughs> which, like, you're like part of the Rolling Stones entourage, and you're like, coke is going to be a part of your life for the next decade, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about about hard to develop a habit. Also, talk to Jan yeah. Wenner, who did coke for thirty years, I think, straight. Right. Like, yeah. he never ran out of the money, I guess. Yeah, it, um, I mean, they were doing coke early on, though. Like, I think of yeah. cocaine as more like a 78 through the right. entire 80s and then crack hit. Yeah. Um, but this is like 72, and they're doing so mm-hmm. much coke. I mean, I think 
I might be slightly off on this, but I feel like 68-ish is around when Coke kind of first showed up as a, at least I, as a, like, drug of choice in, like, this kind of world. I think I so. I want to say 67, yeah. 68. I know from reading the Jan Wenner biography, which is a great read, um, mm-hmm. he did Coke. God, I want to say it was, like, 69 or 70 is when he picked up the habit, like, for real. Yeah. And then did not stop until like 1991 or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he did like really early. He was a cokehead. It is. Um, yeah. They were obviously. I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, they were like, yeah, I was just going to say they were early on, which is yeah. I didn't expect. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it is because Coke definitely has an 80s reputation, but it was, I mean, in the right circles, at least it was around for all of the 70s for sure. Right. Um. And then also a ton of heroin, of course, because oh, Nicky so Hopkins, um, their piano player, is heavily featured in this movie. He was on mm-hmm. tour with them for this tour. He's the main person who's doing heroin all the time. Oh, and then uh, obviously Keith was very uh, addicted at this point as well. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. Um. Let's see. One. Let's get in. Uh, okay, let's get into Truman Capote a little bit. Okay. So, I think he shows up in the movie for like two seconds. I think there's some shots early, like very early on in the movie, of a party that actually happens at the end of the tour, where someone I forget. I think. Um, okay, so the Rolling Stones records was distributed by Atlantic. I want to say in the U.S., which is why mm-hmm. Ahmet Erdogan, the head of Atlantic Records, shows up throughout this whole movie and i think that's why he was in this so much is because he was their u.s distributor and they were on a u.s tour right he throws them a party at the end of the tour that i think is also like a mick birthday party so that's you see like andy warhol show up and a bunch of famous people uh, and you see truman capote for like a second there but so this is back in the fun days of rolling stone the magazine speaking Mm -hmm. of yon winner right um when they decided it would be a cool idea for the Rolling Stones 1972 tour to get an article about it, they would call Truman Capote and ask him if he wanted to follow the Stones on tour and then write an, ar- an article about it for Rolling Stone. Yeah. How things worked back then. So he followed them for like the first third of it and then ditched because he didn't, he wasn't having fun and didn't want to write the article anymore. And then like a year or two later let me double check this date if i have it i don't think i do um a year or two later oh no no no. the next year sorry 1973 once they realize they're not getting his article (laughs) yeah they assign andy warhol to interview truman capote about what the tour was like and why he didn't write the article wow yeah, which is like nine degrees of separation, but that's how that is the most stone worked, man. Nineteen seventy one thing I've ever heard in my yeah. life. It's that's amazing. Pretty nuts. Yeah. So I found the interview, and I'm gonna read like oh, two oh, pages of it do. because it is an incredible. The whole thing is incredible, but there's one like specifically a couple of pages I'll pick and choose from, but it's amazing. Okay, Andy. Jan wanted to know your problem with writing the article. Truman, why I couldn't write the article? Yes. The reason was twofold. One, as the thing progressed, I saw more and more trash written about the entire tour, and ordinarily that sort of thing doesn't bother me. I mean, I could cover a trial that's being covered by newspapers, 
and it doesn't phase me in the least because I know it has nothing to do with what my own insight is. But my trouble with this was that, especially in journalistic writing, there has to be some element of mystery about it. And the problem with this piece was that there was no mystery. There wasn't a thing about it that set some mystery going into my mind as why this should be or that should be, because it was also perfectly staged. I'm not talking about the performance itself, just the whole combination of the thing was obvious. The people were so obvious, and they had really no dimension. <laughs> I mean, Mick Jagger has a certain mystery to him, but simply because he's a bit of a doppelganger. He's a highly trained performer, but on the other hand, he's a businessman. And the whole thing is obvious, and so it had no mystery. And so since there was nothing to find out, I just couldn't be bothered writing it. <laughs> okay. Also, just a great, not even really a backhanded insult but just <laughs> great takedown no. of the role yeah the whole thing um the only thing this is still truman capote the only thing i have to say about it is marshall marshall chess and all these people have themselves confused as being one of the stones i mean they're always up on the stage sort of edging nearer and nearer into the spotlight it's always been conceded that something just barely is restraining them from rushing on stage grabbing the mic from mick and starting to really strut <laughs> Also, they're so jealous of each other, and they're so jealous of their relationship with the Stones, with who's closer, who's nearer. It's pathetic. Holy then, shit. Just straight from this, also the way this interview is transcribed is really insane, because it's they either cut a lot or they didn't cut anything, because it's like very stilted in some weird ways. But anyway. Yeah. Andy Warhol immediately jumps to saying, the next question is, the plain fuck. Which, okay... So before we get to this, there is a scene somewhat early, like in the first third of the movie, I want to say, where they're on their jet and there's all of the Rolling Stones crew, you know, the band and all of their associated mm. people on there, like probably 20 dudes. And then like these three or four or five women who are all groupies who got on the plane with them. And then hard to tell how into it anybody is, but yeah. they're being coerced into taking their clothes off and then eventually having sex with people um, yeah. in the plane while everyone's just like standing around watching. It's one of those private planes where there's just like benches, not really seats. Right. So everyone's just kind of standing around. So unclear, by the way, whether this next part is about that scene or not. You'll know mm -hmm. why I say that when we get okay. to it. So Truman Capote. They had this doctor on the plane who was a young doctor from San Francisco. He would pass through the plane with a great big plate of pills, every kind you could imagine. I couldn't really figure out why. He had just started practicing in San Francisco, and this seemed sort of a dramatic thing to do, especially as he wasn't, uh, as I could figure out, a great fan of the Stones. It developed that he had a super Lolita complex. I mean, 13, 14-year-old kids. He would arrive at whatever city we were at, and there would always be these hordes of kids outside, and he would walk around like a little super fuck and say, you know, I'm Mick Jagger's personal physician. How would you like to see the show from backstage? He would get kind of quite a collection of them backstage. He would have them spread out. And every now and then he'd bring one back to the plane. Usually someone slightly older. The one I remember the most was a girl who said she'd come to the Rolling Stones to get a story for her high school newspaper. And wasn't this wonderful how she'd met Dr. Feelgood and got backstage. Anyway, she got on the plane, and she sure got a story all right, because they fitted up the back of the plane for this. You know Robert Frank? He was on the tour. He got out all of his lights, the plane was flying, and there was the doctor screwing this girl in every conceivable position while Robert Frank was filming. And as it was flying back to Washington, it was flying at some weird angle, and the stewardess kept asking them to move forward. 
And then the plane landed, and they always brought these authorities on board for checkout, and the doctor had a terribly hard time getting his trousers on. <laughs> and in the end, he had to come out with his trousers in his hand with them filming it all. Hmm. And then Andy's first question is, well, but how long was the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ, Andy Warhol. <laughs> I don't know if he's trying to, like make it better in his mind or whether he just doesn't know what to say so he just asks a really weird unrelated question and then he says it was a short flight about 30 minutes uh oh shit i just lost my place it was a short flight about 30 minutes everyone kept watching and switching camera angles so wow i hope to god that is not the filming right scene in the plane you on the one hand, you have to think it just wouldn't have been because, like, that presents a million more legal issues. And, like, again, I mean, it's up on fucking YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this I, is. I hope to God but, it's not. But, like, yeah. you know, in that time, like, yeah. he just mentions, Trim Capote mentions, like, oh, he just has a Lolita complex. Like, it's nothing, it seems like. Yeah. Um, they also get into how Truman observed continuously, day and night, girls and boys, flocks of them going off with everyone in the crew. Ooh, boys. Uh, which makes sense. Yeah, anyone connected with the tour. Carpenter, Lightman, no matter who it was. Um, Interesting. Yeah. He mentions Texas as being a particularly crazy place of people desperate to... Hmm desperate to have sex with the stones i guess you would think that texas they wouldn't like any of their hippy dippy bullshit yeah uh here's maybe the greatest part of the interview just in terms of this is how this is this encapsulate encapsulates how weird of an interview this is to read so truman's telling a story about how keith richards comes to his room and is like there's a party upstairs you should come see it for your story Keith's saying, come out and see what a rock group's really like and truman's saying i know what a rock group is like keith i don't have to come upstairs to see it and he had a bottle of ketchup in his hand. He had a hamburger and a bottle of ketchup, and he just threw the ketchup all over the door of my room. And then Andy says, oh, it sounds like fun. Hey, I've gotten to like ketchup so much, I can really eat it. <laughs> and Truman says, what? And Andy says, ketchup. And Truman says, oh, ketchup. And then Andy says, but it seems like there's just so much material on this trip. <laughs> Where the fuck is the ketchup coming from what the hell i like that he's like i, I like the part where truman is like what and then he yeah. goes ketchup and he's like oh ketchup <laughs> now, great now i know what you're talking about yeah <laughs> that's yeah. amazing so basically truman capote doesn't have anything nice to say he goes on to talk about how sad he found it that they they almost never did encores for the shows and he was like they would immediately hmm. leave and get on their plane and he was like i would stay at the concert and people would stay there for like 45 minutes hoping for an encore and it's like they're long gone and he found that really shitty that is of them kind of do. fucked up yeah um and then they also mentioned they specifically like every single thing ever written about the rolling stone they specifically call out charlie watts as being the only nice one <laughs> that yeah both of them are like oh but charlie's the nice one and truman's like oh yeah he's a he's a really nice guy (laughs) yeah yeah so that's awesome it's pretty insane man i mean this whole i i would have to say that this movie we we talked a couple episodes a couple three episodes about like it feeling weird getting really into the rolling stones because it felt like 
there was something about them that you didn't want to like be a big fan of yeah and this movie really like nails all that down of like that this right is not like a the rock star ideal this is the rock star ideal they were going for but not the one that like whether it's more of a passage of time thing that just it feels weird in 2021 that this was like the height of coolness um or whether it's just a personality thing where i don't know to me personally that doesn't feel like a cool thing but i'm sure way, some people would be of, like they're so cool in that movie it's so cool that they can get 15 year olds on their plane to fuck and yeah do heroin anytime they want but yeah no um, kind of it put that into perspective to me where it's like oh yeah this is why i will never be like i love the rolling stones like no matter how good the music is it's like i can't which i guess with the beach boys too is people like but at least in the beach boys there were like one or two of them where you're like as people they are cool so i can be fine but well well, it 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 should tell you something watching cocksucker blues it put a worse taste in my mouth than them being responsible for the death of a man (laughs) like yeah i had a harder time watching this not only because it was kind of fucking boring but also because they're just bad people except charlie he's cool they are yeah well and it's like what was also interesting about the movie is that it felt like they weren't in it all that much it was mostly like the nikki hawkins basically was the main character of the movie yeah he was definitely the at least musician wise he was in it by far the most yeah and then yeah it was just all the like surrounding stuff where it's like they'd be in a crowd of 20 people doing something and so it's like kind of like Altamont. it's like just making the conditions for this to happen um, right and just it's not good like again even if they're not directly involved or responsible it's just not it's not good no um what's also crazy is that this tour had a bunch of insane shit happen that none of it made it into cocksucker blues for some reason robert fink thought it was much more interesting to watch nikki hopkins and some random groupie shoot up together yeah but okay I'm going to go through like a little bit of the highlights of like insane shit that would have been very cool to watch in a movie. Um, Lay it on me, Pete. Okay. So first of all, a bunch of wild stuff happened at shows. Uh, the first show of their tour in Vancouver, um, over 2000 people attempted to crash the Coliseum. It was in like to barge in at the last minute and 30 huh. cops were injured from them. Wow. Like, crashing. Yeah. Which would have been kind of interesting to see um in san diego they arrested 60 people for basically the same thing (laughs) um and then in tucson arizona 300 people tried to storm the concert venue and police used tear gas on them wow that sounds more modern yeah also what's crazy that they wouldn't allow them to film is that they stayed at and this would have been in the vein of the movie exactly Mm -hmm. is they stayed at the playboy mansion for like four days on tour how did none of that get that filmed? None of that would have been filmed. Maybe yeah. they weren't allowed to film inside of it, but I it Playboy seems like a place where it's like you could film in here, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, basically at almost every show there were like dozens of people arrested for either pop possession or violence or trying to uh, you know, jump the gates and all that. Um again, mm-hmm. same thing, 2000 people tried to storm the show in Detroit, like just even a montage of some of this shit would have been very interesting. <laughs> oh yeah. Um in Montreal, someone set off a bomb in their equipment van. 
what the yeah. fuck? And they had to fly in replacement gear. Um, hmm. And then also in Montreal, someone they somehow had 3,000 forged tickets come through the gates. Um, so they had to like kick huh. people out and start the concert late. And like, that was a whole shit show. Um, and then fucking Mick and Keith got arrested on this tour. Like how, again, how is none of this shit in this movie yeah. where we're just watching Keith board, push a TV off a balcony and then be like, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, you were arrested like a week ago. Why aren't we seeing this? Um, Mick and Keith got arrested for getting into a fight with someone backstage um and like they almost had to cancel they almost had to cancel their show that night but then the mayor of boston who was afraid that there would be a riot if they canceled the show like made the police release them so that they could do their show which is again like that's awesome that shit needs to be in a fucking movie if that had been filmed in the style of um give me shelter where it's just like people talk that would have been amazing yes like the mayor yeah like waking up in the middle of the night to yeah um also i feel this is kind of a more famous event that i think i've heard about before in but didn't realize it was in this context um steven stills and keith richards got into a fight at some point and pulled knives on each other in a hotel Uh, yeah i've heard the story yeah which i want to fucking get it's like i mean even if you don't have video of that like at least include it in your movie what are you doing yeah um just you know pull keith aside and be like i hear you got in a fight with somebody yeah, yeah. me yeah. stevie steals get at it with noise exactly you know, like um and then also they had a pie fight at their last show at madison square garden which that would have been cute. cute if nothing a cute else. ending yeah. yeah yeah so like i don't know man it's just for all of that like i was watching this movie and then i pulled up the wikipedia page for the tour and yeah. just the entire section about the tour is nothing that they show in the movie where you're like what what like what were you doing robert frank you failed at whatever your job was he was watching a pianist do heroin like the whole fucking time maybe it's because they didn't let him like maybe they didn't like him very much they're like you can fucking hang out with nikki maybe yeah 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 that's possible um so yeah it's crazy um Oh, I a couple f- things. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was going to say, you, you brought up Keith Richards pushing the TV off the balcony, which is, yeah, I think, probably my favorite part. Because Classic. he d- didn't enjoy it. <laughs> it seems like someone, yeah, it seems like whoever was filming was like, you know, the Led Zeppelin did this on their last tour. And he was like, okay, I don't care. And they're like, you should do it. It's what rock stars do. And he's like, I don't want to. And someone just, like, forced him to do it on camera, you know? <laughs> they were like, we'll film it. And then he's just like, yeah. I guess so. We'll give you, movie, look, man. I'll load up your next needle, man. <laughs> yeah. Is that what I need to do to convince you? Yeah. It it was really, like, he didn't give a shit that he was No. <laughs> no. Not even a smile. Like, one, one, one like smile that was forced. pushed it off and walked away yeah. and just shrugged. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um... So one last thing that actually was crazy and that I also did not realize. Okay, so apparently the Stones, uh, we already know that the Stones always have a good lineup on tour, but apparently Stevie Wonder was their opener. Cool. For this tour, Um, which is fucking nuts. That would be such a crazy show. That would be a crazy show. And so there's a scene in the movie, though, of him playing with the Rolling Stones, uh, and apparently the 
the only times they did an encore, they did an encore like four or five times only on the tour. But the encore they would do, they would bring out Stevie Wonder to like play with the band for a few songs, which is that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, be so cool to see. So, yeah, I mean, aside from all of the like obviously R to X rated elements, I yeah. agree with you that it was like not a particularly engaging movie. No, and just and- feels like it fails to capture. Uh, like it, it seems like they think they're capturing like the date what makes like being a touring rock star special or whatever but it's it's not it just makes it seem sad <laughs> it's it seems like robert frank what like didn't do any of this stuff and he wasn't like into it and then he was like this is what they're they're doing heroin and right. fucking yes. people like this yeah. is what's cool instead of like showing a cute little pie fight which is adorable like showing the pie fight showing them getting arrested showing you know like yeah like the actual like fun cool stuff that they did He's just like, no, yeah. rock and roll is about heroin and plain right. sex. Yeah, just so many boring scenes in hotel rooms of people sitting around and like, and the audio quality. I mean, it was a bad quality video, I guess. Yeah. So, but it was just like a lot of mumbling where you're like, you can barely understand what anyone's saying because it's yeah. all just handheld mics and cameras, you know? Yeah. And just, yeah, like Mick laying on a bed across the room mumbling about something. And you're like, I don't who cares i don't care (laughs) yeah it was it was boring like yeah 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 it's crazy and yeah like i said like made me not like it's it's weird because i feel like i have i've heard of this movie for several years you know being a anyone who gets into classic rock i feel like hears about this movie because it's supposed to be this like legendary unreleased it's so they do so much insane shit on camera you can't even yeah it'll blow your mind and like they they do do that but like i said it just makes it seem like sad and shitty more than like wow what a cool time wish i lived then <laughs> right it's no just, yeah. it, it does it did like watching it i was like it made me it bummed me out man yeah yeah bummed me out because it's like a bummer of a movie watching all these people do this terrible shit ruining um, their fucking and lives also yeah. Yeah, and also a bummer because it's the Rolling Stones who, like, you know, I'm in the midst of both actively enjoying and, like, trying to learn to enjoy and all that. And so, yeah, it's like a bummer um, in that way, too. Real quick, I got distracted while watching this movie, of course, uh, and read up on Nicky Hopkins a little bit more. He was apparently addicted to heroin for quite a long time and finally kicked it and now is a committed... I think he actually might be dead now, but for a long time was a very committed Scientologist. So I bet Scientology is what helped him get clean. Good. That's the whole think, thing. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like Narconon or something is owned by the Scientologists. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Interesting. I think. But yeah, so poor, poor Nicky Hopkins. Yeah. So sad well he kind of deserved it he's kind of an asshole <laughs> great mustache though oh phenomenal mustache yes that's the the one thing i'll give this movie is that aside from keith great hair great hair all around i love yeah. a like very shaggy overgrown early 70s kind of look, it, man. it was a good time for hair except for keith yeah. you're right keith's hair is atrocious from yeah, he did I don't about know. He was three so years ahead before of the this curve. yeah 
on the fringed mullet because like that was a very paul and linda mccartney look too yes. but they didn't start doing that i feel like till like 75 76 and then that became very much a rock star look in like the late 70s yeah like it but, came back around yeah but keith was like very early for that kind of fringed mullet look yeah weirdly so although i guess maybe david bowie kind of had that hair for a second like during the ziggy stardust years it was shorter in the front though and like stuck up and it really worked for him because it was orange yeah well and then i guess i just never thought about it as being because he's so much i mean always on stage back then but was like so much doing a made-up character Right, but it didn't occur to me that it, that would be like a real haircut. A human have, being but would have Keith that haircut. Just has yeah. that haircut, yeah. <laughs> For like sixty years, yeah. Yeah, dude, his hair is so. atrocious. Yeah, but that's a uh, that's cocksucker blues. Those are the films, man. The films. Pretty very interesting look at the years of the Rolling Stones. It adds a lot and, to actually, you know, and watching very them and different. Them. Yeah, like very different. Um, tragic both of them tragic yeah i don't know that you're gonna get a lot of rolling stones (laughs) that's not stories from this era that aren't just sad mostly yeah i mean we went from brian jones dying to altamont to then them all being addicted to heroin not all of them but most of them being addicted to heroin and then like soon we're gonna get to them i think falling apart as like a not as a band what am i trying to say like uh like becoming irrelevant um in the kind of mid-70s i think from what i understand of their career arc so right not not a great time (laughs) yeah that's fair to say so yeah which makes you wonder would the beatles have been as shitty i mean any band that keeps going gets bad at some point I just mean as human beings. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because they they had similar upbringings. And I realize John Lennon is already a garbage human being. Yeah. But, like... Yeah, because he was. But then George and Paul... Stand-up dudes. Both were like, yeah, like, obviously, maybe because of the era, they did some questionable shit. I, I would assume. I don't even know specifically. But, like, I know Paul was really into marijuana which is really dicey for me. Oh, oh no, no, I did not know that. Yeah. Oh. Um never but I like, take it both back. seemed like they were actively trying to, I don't know, be like good people good and dudes. you know not yeah, and do I think they... the Rolling Stones lifestyle basically. Yeah. Um I guess I know nothing about Ringo. He has that song about 17-year-olds, so maybe he was a freak. Who knows. But I just assume that Ringo Starr is up to some shady shit at all times, you know. No one says peace and love that much without without yeah. hiding something. Thou doth protest too much. Exactly, yeah. So, I yeah. mean, yeah, probably, but I think it more almost would have... I mean, they already broke up because they weren't getting along because they were, like, going different directions. Yeah. And so I feel like if they had stayed... They just would have happened later, like, because they just would have gotten further or more polarized and gone yeah. further apart from each other. Right. Because, like, you know, like, they were so far apart that John and Paul never fucking talked for the rest, like, for another decade after that. Like, they didn't even get close to kind of resuming that friendship. Friendship, yeah. Yeah. So. Huh. Yeah, you're right. 
Yeah. Um, one interesting note that I think is relevant to Cocksucker Blues and came up in my book when I was reading a little further ahead of this, but there is a great quote from Ron Wood. Ronnie Wood? I don't know how he likes to be called, but... I usually hear it, Ronnie Wood. All right, from Ronnie Wood, who when he tried out for the Rolling Stones after Little Mick leaves, uh, he's talking to Eric Clapton about it, and Eric Clapton's like, well, I'm a better guitar player than you. I should be a part of the Rolling Stones. And Ronnie Wood's like, yeah, but you got to be able to like party with the Stones and live the Stones' <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah. And like that, after watching Cocksucker Blues, you're like, oh, okay, that's what he means. All right. Yeah. Interesting. Like you have to be down for all of that, which I guess Clapton was down for the heroin part, but who knows? I, th- I think he was a little bit too racist for the Stones' taste. Oh yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. He would have he would have protested all those blues artists opening for them. Exactly. He would have been like Stevie Wonder. He's blind and black. You want him as your opener? Eric Clapton, famous hater of blind people. Oh, that's his biggest thing. Can't handle it, man. I think that's what the He's song never... Layla is about. That's that's why it was such a big deal, and he made that album with BB King. Yeah, yeah. BB <laughs> uh, King, famously, the BB stands for Blind Boy. Yeah, Blind Boy. He was the an original member of the Blind Boys of Alabama. Yeah. Um, well, that's been doc- documentary yeah. talk on the Rolling Stones studs. The first and last fucking time we will ever do. We are not watching Stoned and talking about it on the show. So no more movies, unless it's only music from now on. Unless you guys write in and want us to. <laughs> unless you, unless you really want us to. In if this case, gets ten upvotes, we'll do it. Okay. All right, PJ. Well, I'll see you on the other side of that wave. And I'll roll that stone away, cause of Easter, and Jesus. Oh, beautiful! I love the connection. I do too. Bye bye. All right, Pete. A Beach Boys Boys production.